What's going on, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here, your host of Kicking Back, and we are back to our regularly scheduled programming, except for my voice, which you can probably hear, so please excuse the uh, strained voice that I have for this episode, but excited to bring you a chat here with Karina LeBlanc, the head of women's football for CONCACAF, which is the region of the current Olympic gold medalists and the current World Cup champions, Canada and the U.S., respectively. And it's also home to 41 total nations, member associations, and a lot of news lately out of CONCACAF with a restructured competition schedule for national teams, which puts a lot of emphasis on teams staying active all year round every year and sweetens the pot a little bit for uh, getting to a World Cup, getting to a major tournament, and even just playing meaningful games. So we've got a Women's Gold Cup now coming up in the near future. We've got a revitalized World Cup and Olympic qualification process, and that starts actually only in a couple months here at the, the preliminary stages. So excited to bring you this chat with Karina LeBlanc, who explains all of this. If you're listening on our website on equalizersoccer.com, uh, we'll have some links to the various flow charts to make sure you understand how qualifying will work this time around. But 2023 expanded Women's World Cup, 32 teams for the first time. Four of those at minimum will be from CONCACAF and up to six as two of these teams will go into uh, a playoff, an intercontinental playoff. So excited to talk about all sorts of things, not just the the structural stuff, but uh, some of the, the difference making stuff that uh, Karina LeBlanc is working on with, with CONCACAF in the region. And uh, please go ahead and rate, subscribe, and review this podcast so that more folks can discover it and listen to it just like you. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Kicking Back. I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf. Excited to be joined today on this podcast by Karina LeBlanc. Many of you know her as a, a goalkeeper extraordinaire. And, and the past few years, she's been head of women's football at CONCACAF, uh, making a lot, of, a lot of difference there in the region uh, for women's football. So, Karina, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jeff, as always. Yeah, good to, good to chat. And uh, we're only... Still a few weeks removed from, uh, I think, has the Olympic gold medal hangover of Canada. I know you got your CONCACAF hat on, but I'm sure you had a little bit of extra cheering going on for Canada winning the gold medal. Yeah, you know, I was I was in Canada covering it with CBC, which is the uh, national broadcast. Um, and it was interesting to just be actually at home doing a major event like this, because usually in the past I would be wherever it is and to see Canadians react and be inspired and have hope after this tough last year and a half by these players who represent so much more than just Canadians was was incredible and then obviously you know to to see the gold to see them stand in that podium and see the flag rise was pretty special it was special because we had Canada and USA there but I'll be honest with you it, it was it was a moment where you know I went back and it was like I put on my player's hat and I was like, oh my gosh, this moment for the players. And then it, you know, it, it was, it was truly special and a testament to, to the players, to the country, to the association. But most importantly, you hope that this is the beginning of that next conversation for the country. And, and it's special for Canada and for CONCACAF. So yeah, I'm still riding the wave in some ways because it's just truly special because I know these players grew up wanting to win a gold medal for their country and that and and that's what we saw happen you know the next generation now is the current generation the past generation and it's just so many things and then for christine sinclair i mean who didn't want that for sinclair you know i mean it's 
it's she's such a humble human being that that moment for her I think people I don't know didn't you kind of feel special for her like didn't it feel special for you yeah, I think it was cool to see. I mean, you know, Christine Sinclair, Marta, obviously another player that I think, you know, has been so great. And, and uh, you know, as a neutral, I think you want to see, have that that moment. And, um, you know, that that was really cool. I think it was, I, I can only imagine what the post game looked like. I think uh, it, I, I had to view it from the, you know, the computer across the world, but uh, it was, uh, it was in that press conference. It was cool. Yeah, it was. Um, finally, maybe, you know, I think you probably know better than, than most. She's kind of, uh, for as much as she's the world's leading goal scorer, she's kind of unheralded in, in uh, as much as that sounds you know, mm -hmm. like an oxymoron. She's, uh, she, she's humble in that sense. So, you know, doesn't necessarily get all the, you know, the attention, but, um, finally you has know, a gold you, medal. You said it perfectly is she doesn't get the attention. She doesn't want the attention. And I think no person who's played with Christine Sinclair has bad to say about her or those who played against her. Right. So I think you have that respect, but you also look at this person that has always made it about others, right? Like even in a post-game speeches, like little chats, like it's always about other people. And I think it's so nice to see somebody who's been like that consistently. I remember her when she first came into camp, like a little 16 year old. And she was just like this innocent kid who could put the ball in the back of the net. She placed it, she put it where the goalkeeper wasn't. But then you, you, to watch her grow, and to watch her go through all the things in her personal life and then professional life and people writing her off. And to have that moment, I think it was truly special. So Christine Sinclair, the world knows her. Well, we shouldn't say the world knows her because we always see people still saying, you know, top world score, Ronaldo. But I think <laughs> at some point you're like, come on, folks. But I think the world knows Christine Sinclair as she wants them to know her. But most importantly, has that gold medal next to her name which means so much more to her than we will ever understand yeah yeah canada uh, gold medal at the the olympics in women's soccer and then us i know an old rival for you but also Concacaf nations so two, yes. two of the three medals uh, i'm bragging about that I, I i sent a text to uefa and i just said hey you know look we are world cup champions and olympic champions but it's it, it is a nice ring to it but you know, it, it's a testament to the work that is being done within our confederation, the work that we still have to do within our confederation, but it now makes it like, oh, we can do big things, you know, and I think it's exciting. And I think that's why we're having this conversation because of all the exciting things that are going on in CONCACAF. Yeah, lots to lots to get to and, and lots of announcements lately. I want to talk to you about um, some some reinvigorated, reinvented uh, pathways to the World Cup and the Olympics, as well as a uh, women's gold cup and uh, quite a bit. So um, I guess a, a matter of where to, where to start, but maybe we can start, um, the, you know, the world cup, we knew it was going to expand in 2023. And, and that means for CONCACAF as well. And, you know, just doing the math, I feel like we're almost guaranteed to see maybe not necessarily a new team out of CONCACAF, but a very good probability. Certainly a new team will be in that, that intercontinental playoff that, that FIFA has set up, which is kind of a, a cool concept, but um, let's maybe start big picture of this this process because I know you've been working on it for some time. Um, what what led you to you personally, the group? What led Concacaf to uh, this idea where um, you know there's a gold cup, 
there are the four automatic qualifiers that go straight to the World Cup. Then there's the two, um, the two half slots that go into the playoff. And we, we knew that was coming, but the setup for it uh, is quite interesting. So, so maybe if you can break it down in, in layman's terms for listeners and just kind of the, the why and, and how you got to this point as, as maybe the best way to structure the competition. So Victor Montagliani, our president, I mean, I think he's been vision clear on his passion for developing the women's game. I mean, I mean, he was the reason why I even wanted to take this position. I remember crying with him. I told this story at our business of belonging town. I remember crying with him in 2012 when we won the Olympic medal and it was personal to him and his leadership was how do we develop and grow our confederation to the next level? And what we see here in our new ecosystem is there's 118% increase in games. So not only that, but teams will get to play home games. And I think that's massive because when I know the, the importance of playing at home, where your family and friends get to see you play, you get to wear that jersey in the back, your, your name on the back. But most importantly, that develops the game because young kids get to look and see their heroes right in front of them. We know this all too well in North America, but most importantly, across the Caribbean islands, for example, we saw Jamaica uh, qualified in the last World Cup. And the impact of those women going to World Cup is that young girls can see women who look like them do things that they only dream of, but on a regular basis. So we wanted to do this. We wanted to get a competitive match for all 40 matches for all 41 of our members association tournaments that matter you know we talk about the road to the gold cup we talk about the gold cup we talk about our championships so most importantly as you just mentioned now we have an opportunity to have four for sure and two half spots so that's a possibility of six teams going through to the world cup and in all the discussions we had leading into it obviously we wanted to have like 10 or 15 but we had to be realistic of like where we are. So to your point, Jeff, not only do we hope to see new teams, but we hope to see all of our past teams there too, because we know that, that consistency is key, you know, and developing our three objectives is to change perceptions, grow sustainable like foundations and not and grow participation. And I think with this ecosystem, you see all that. And so for some people it's complicated, but really you see major tournaments happening within our region. With the Gold Cup, you see we have four guests coming in potentially, and that's gonna be exciting because that makes it an elite competition. A road to the World Cup qualification starts this November. And you're gonna see again, home games for some countries that have never hosted. And so it's developing the entire 41. Um, and, and for those of you who don't know, CONCACAF is North America, Central America, and all the Caribbean countries. So it's 41 members associations or as nations as, as most people know it. And I'll, I'll simplify it and hopefully I've done that. But now we're developing the entire region. Yes, you can look at it and say, hey, we got World Cup champs and Olympic champs and CONCACAF's rolling, but we have 41 countries and you're only as good as your weakest link. So it's to make sure that those developing countries feel seen, feel heard, feel like, okay, I have a chance and I see the pathway rather than just looking be like, I'm never going to be there. So I think this is what's important is that it's, it's really developed a, a tournament because we know that competition drives development. And then we have a lot of development programs on the side, but is that simple enough or? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Well, you know, I mean, one thing you mentioned is, is home games and we'll see a lot of these nations in that, um, that preliminary stage 
hosting those or playing those home games or games at home. And um, it's something that I'm curious about. I'm wondering maybe the, the long-term vision, the, the head in the sky and, and dreamers version of it. But, you know, I've always looked at the, the hex on the men's side is now the, the oct, the octagon, mm-hmm. obviously the octagonal. Um, and I've always, you know, I've always thought that, you know, the U S women have obviously traditionally been, kind of cruise through qualifying in, in many ways, but I've always wondered what happens if they have to go to Azteca or Saprisa. And, you know, th- that's question. something that, that I've really wondered. I know we're not necessarily for different reasons. Maybe you can lay out some, you know, there tomorrow, but what, um, is, is that something you think is attainable in, in some version of medium long-term and, and what was, you know, the, the decision in terms of a singular tournament for, to, to stick with that format? No, I, it's, it's a great question. I'll take, I'll answer that with my player's hat on. I remember playing in Mexico, right? And it was a qualifier and it was in Guadalajara, I believe. Um, but I remember hearing the anthem, the Mexican anthem being played. And it was an incredible atmosphere. Like I'm proudly Canadian, but when that anthem was being played and sang by the locals at the top of their, like, it just was so powerful. And it was almost like, I was like shaking my head being like, this is what you want as a footballer to play in environments where it's like, you know, the crowd in an in a sense is like, you're standing between us going to the world cup and the Olympics. That's a big deal. And I think that that was incredible because it's, it's something I didn't get to experience enough of as a player. And when you look at this competition eventually, yes, I know Canadians, I know Americans like to play locally, and but some, some of that experience is going to these environments and playing and get, getting to do that, because I'll never forget that game. I'll also never forget a game where, you know, you're being, everyone's screaming at you, not understanding the language, but you're like, okay, that these are the moments as players you look forward to. You look forward to these meaningful games in environments that are not necessarily what you're used to, but you're like, this is football at the global stage. And I think that's one of the things is because there's benefits in both sides, but then also you have to look at if we really want to be a, a confederation that's developing all of our, our countries, as Bev Priestman said when, we, when, when I interviewed her in the business of belong, she's like, we need every one of our countries to be better. And that means like sometimes us traveling. So long-term plan, yeah, we're definitely moving towards that because I think as players too, you want to experience that, right? You don't want to just wait till, and the scores are the scores right now. But I think as we develop the game and with an ecosystem like this, you're going to see those scores narrowly get better and better. Because I remember when we used to lose 9 nothing to the U.S. People are like, what? You did? Yeah, Canada used to lose 9 nothing to the U.S. But you see that progression get smaller. You see that gap get even less. And I think that's the only way we can develop and grow the games. And I think in conversations with the U.S., with Canada, with Mexico, because you have to realize we've spoke to every stakeholder about this. It wasn't just like, hey, here you go. What do you think? It, it was a long process, as you know, but everybody sees the benefit for the entire confederation. I think that's what you have to look at it with a hat on is not just look at one and two but look at all 41 of our members association and say, how do we move forward to actually grow the women's game here? And I think that's one of the positives of this new ecosystem is that everybody can see themselves and feel seen and heard in this process. That was 2010 you're talking about, right? The qualifiers in 
in Mexico? Oh, of so course, Jess. You, you, you're just going to like pull it <laughs> up and be like, you know, yeah. But it was even, there was there was Guadalajara. There was, um, uh, what's the one where we had to cross the borders back and forth? Next to El Paso. Uh, hmm. It's going to bug me right now. Anybody from Mexico listening to this right now is going to be like, how do you forget it? But it'll come to me. But it, again, I, I can remember those, sorry, I'm forgetting a little, but I can remember those moments. And I think as a player, that's why you play the game. You want to have those memorable moments of going to a different country and being like, you know what? It was just so different. You know, even Julie Foudy, we were speaking the other day about, and Brandy Chesting, about them going to Haiti. They remember those moments. And that's part of the journey and the story of, of, of representing your confederation in your region. When you go to World Cup, you're like, hey, CONCACAF, here we are, let's go. Yeah, and that, that was... Um... That's why I'm always curious because that 2010, I believe the last time there was a qualifier in Mexico and that's when obviously the U S um, I mean, I'll never forget it. I'm sure, you know, yourself as yes, well. That the, was the Cancun one. Yes. The, the top Wasn't ranked it? team yeah. in the world is the last to qualify. And I don't know if it was super tight against Italy, but it was a lot, you know, it was a lot closer than anybody probably thought it, it should have been, but, but I think see, like, this is what we're talking about. I think this, this is where the conversation goes because to win a world, to be a world champion, you know, and we've seen this at the Olympics, we've seen it at the World Cup, you know that you have to get through and beat everyone. So it's almost preparing you for that World Cup experience is, is playing in an environment that you're not familiar with, right? You know, the, I, I mean, I remember the 2004 before we went to the Olympics, um, or we got beaten to go to the Olympics, we played in Mexico, or it was Costa Rica, and the environment was just off and it threw us off. And you, we learned so many lessons for that to make sure our program moved forward. So, I mean, from a player's hat, it's something you want to experience. And from the administrative side, it's a must. Because, again, it's, it's our job to grow and help all of our members' associations be successful across the board. So I'm excited about this. And hopefully everybody is. It's new. It's different. But, again, look at where the women's game is growing. I mean, you're looking at 118% increase in games. Right. That's an investment. And I think now it's not just, you know, from start with our president to Philippe Mangia or general secretary, not just talking about like, yes, women's football, we're putting the action steps and the finances behind it. So four automatic qualifiers for the 2023 World Cup, two going into that intercontinental playoff. And then um, I thought an interesting thing that because um, Europe has. I think Europe has a crowded calendar and is sometimes criticized for the, the double jeopardy of the World Cup being a an Olympic qualifier. Um, South America does this as well, where it's, it's kind of one qualifier now baked into um, two qualifiers baked into one, excuse me, but, but there is kind of that second chance game essentially. So the top, top team qualifying for the 24 Olympics and then a, a second versus third playoff um, for that second CONCACAF spot mm -hmm. at the 2024 Olympics. So um, hopefully if you're, if you're at home, we'll try to put a link to a flow chart in the, uh, in the article here for if you're if you're listening on our website um you mentioned the the increase in games 118 percent. you said um i think that's the the thing for me you know i think some people will listen to this and say you know okay well those teams they've got a long way to go maybe some of those teams in terms of competing but they need those games because you know we've seen too often where they go dormant and, and the pandemic is a different story but you play that qualifying tournament in January of some year, you know, you don't make it to the world cup of the Olympics and you're not 
some of these teams, you know, traditionally in other, in other confederations too, are not seen again for another two years until that next qualifier. So the goal here, I imagine was you now have something on your calendar every month or two that actually means something. And you cannot say, Hey, we're not going to run our women's team for the next nine months or longer because we just, we're not, we're not going to schedule games. I mean, that had to be an impetus, right? Yeah. I mean, you've hit it perfectly right there. I think for us, it was again, looking at how do we develop and grow the game throughout an entire region? And it was exactly that because some of our teams were, you know, they would play one game and they're done and you'd see nothing for years, but now it's us. I mean, we have our U15 tournament, which is a non world cup qualifying. So every one of our MA should be there and that's just to develop. And we put a lot of development programs around that. We have U17, U20, obviously, which are World Cup um, youth qualifications, but then you have this. And now it's holding every one of our Emmys to the agenda that they said they were on. We're like, this bus is going, are you on or are you off? And they're like, we're on. We're like, okay, since you're on, we're gonna do these things. And I think it's so important, again, to not just think of the countries that everyone knows, but to think of the smaller countries who feel seen and heard in this process. When we first put this out, I'll tell you, I got a call from a woman and she was crying. And she said, it's been 20 years. I've been in this game for 20 years. She's like, I've sacrificed so much. And for the first time, I know that we are in good hands. I know that this is the way forward. I know that my country is gonna get blasted, but you know what? It's gonna be so important for us because these home games, game changers. This ability for us to now have to play games, game changers. And she's like, it, it was just one of those moments where sometimes you, you're you like, okay, this is a great plan and you're waiting, you know, the meet and whatnot, but then you get a call like this and you're like, wow, we've nailed it. We've done exactly what we should do here. And it was also, like I said, you know, we talked to the different stakeholders. We talked to Canada, USA, Mexico, Costa Rica. We talked to the countries that Jamaica, the ones that are like right there. And then we talked to the ones who are like, we're so far. And it's amazing. And this was not the first version, let me tell you that. There's many versions before this. But to look and, and to hear the stakeholders say, yes, we're aligned. Yes, this is it. It went through council. It went through all these things. And the presidents were like, yes, this is the way. That's when you feel like you've got something right. Because it's hard to please everybody, I'll tell you that much. But when you do it and then you hear these stories and, and you know, we're start, starting to have these conversations with the different presidents and general secretaries of the different members associations, like asking questions, but like, you know what, we've never hosted at this level before. Are we doing this right? That's when you start to know that you're moving, right? You're not stagnant, but you're moving forward. And I think, especially in North America, we only see the best of the best and we forget about the rest. But I think with anybody in life, everybody wants to feel seen and heard. And I think that's exactly what we've done with this ecosystem. Nice. And, and so, like you said, um, qualification begins, it's right around the corner, really, for this preliminary stage, uh, six groups of five, so 30 teams involved. And I think some of those teams that we can expect to see, even at the World Cup with, you know, I mean, Mexico's involved in that, you mentioned Jamaica being right on the door, I think Haiti is another program that certainly has the youth players that have kind of come up the ranks and, and have shown some promise. So um, yeah, that'll, that'll funnel into that CONCACAF W championship next year. Um, which I think, I don't believe there's a, a venue or anything yet, right? That's, that's TBD. 
For... I'll look at you, Jeff. You want me to just throw <laughs> it out there? <laughs> no, um, that's not been determined yet. Okay. And I think, I think also it's, we have to go through these qualifiers process and see what's going on and give everybody the opportunity to put that bid in. I know we are along pretty far along in that okay. discussion, but I think one of the things is, is to understand that there's going to be a lot of great opportunities here to see the women and players. I shouldn't even say women. And that's another development and growth to see the players, um, you know, represent their countries. So um, I can tell you the discussions are being had, but I can't tell you. <laughs> quite Took a shot. Um, well, the gold cup's interesting too, with the potential four guest teams, I imagine, you know, given that that is a few years away, still really that that's has some time to be figured out, but I'm wondering maybe what, um, how do you envision, I guess it'd be, cause this is something we've seen on the men's side a little bit with the, mm -hmm. the men's gold cup as well, where the gold cup also kind of is, is simultaneous maybe with some other events or, or in the same summer, same region and teams kind of juggle different teams. Um, how, how do you envision maybe let's say a U.S. or a Canada, assuming maybe that they qualify for those Olympics, um, mm -hmm. how, how would you see them participating in that gold cup, given that it's kind of tied up against, is that like a, a prep thing? Would you expect to see them in, in a different, yeah, the, different team or? The, we, we've had all these discussions with, um, like I said, the stakeholders, because you know, we don't put this out before speaking to them. And, and that's the discussion. Is it a prep tournament? Is it, is a tournament that, you know, uh, they look at other players and, and, and it, it's going to depend on the coach. I think one of these things is this is why we wanted to make it an elite competition, a competition where you're like, this, this is, there's the world cup, there's the Olympics, but this is an elite tournament. And I think, again, looking across the board, we wanted to make sure that we can get our, 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 our teams that are right on that cusp, that competition from around the world. And I think, you know, when you look at some of the other regions and confederations, there's something unique about our Central American and our Caribbean countries, right? There's, and I can tell you from playing against them, there's a level of passion and athleticism that's just unique. And you, you, you can prep all you want on paper, but until you're playing that game, you don't know what you're experiencing. And I think that these are the unique things that we can bring as our confederation to this international game. And it makes it very attractive for other confederations and other teams to be able to get all that in one tournament, other than the World Cup or the, or, or the Olympics. So for us, it's, it's, it's more, we'll keep going towards those conversations. And I think it, it all depends on the coach, where their team is at that point, going into the Olympics and what kind of development and growth they need to, to peak at that point. But from our perspective too, it's looking at, this is an opportunity for many teams. And we saw what our Gold Cup was this summer. It was fantastic. You know, I mean, people are talking about the CONCACAF Gold Cup. So now we get to add the W to that. And I think that's our overall goal is that when you're talking about the Gold Cup, you're thinking both men and women. And I think it's an opportunity again for our confederation to rise to a different level and show again, this is where we mean business. And it's gonna be an elite competition um, it's going to be one of the best in the world. And it's going to be hopefully a competition that everybody's like, wow, look at this gold cup for the W. What can we do and, and go towards it? Because I think that's our overall goal to make it that elite top class level where everybody wants to play in it. Mm -hmm. And I know part of the, um, the rollout you mentioned uh, when we were talking before here, the, the, we belong, um, story the hashtag we you mean belong. this we this, belong story 
if you're if you're only listening, Karina has the shirt and the the scarf and the swag. Um, so gotta so, coordinate, Jeff. Gotta coordinate. You what's know? uh what's kind of the brief story of of what that is and what that initiative is? Listen, the we belong, it's two powerful words. And it's one of the things I think you can tell I'm so excited about this because I think for us, you know, you think competition wise, and we've just spoken about that. But then for me being within this region, and for those who don't know, I grew up in the Caribbean. I grew up the shy kid. Nobody ever believes this. And I moved to Canada when I was eight and I didn't even have access to the opportunity in the game. So I didn't know I had that funding bone in my body. And I remember going to a sleepover and that's when I was like, wow, soccer, this is amazing. So I think it's, it's that journey of understanding that every person, man or woman, or whatever, like you've been through a moment where you felt you didn't belong. You've been through a moment where you felt less than. And I think for us, it's, it's those two powerful words as everybody gets to connect to the story that we belong here. Women's football is not the future. It's the present. It's here. It's getting big. It's growing. And, and you, you work day in, day out in it. You can feel the shift, this change. And I think for women and girls and, and players within our region that have felt that they didn't belong, this is us as CONCACAF saying, we're doing it with our competitions. We're doing it with our programs. We're doing it with our voices. You belong here. We belong here. We belong in this game and we're moving forward. And I think what's been amazing is, is so far in this campaign is getting the voices of, of different women in not only just in football, but around the world, whether they're entrepreneurs or they're successful in their own place. And then men jumping in in the discussion and saying, you know what, whether it's because I watched my daughter playing it or I'm day in and day out in it like you are, Jeff, we belong here. And I think it's a conversation that's a powerful one. It's it's two words, but people connect to it in different ways. And it's it's just us saying that, like, as CONCACAF, we're putting women just where exactly where they belong, right alongside with the men, with our competitions. And now, as players and young girls, we want to hear your stories, and we want you to share your stories. So if you go on our social media, you will see different people sharing their stories. And I encourage everybody to share your stories because the more that we can share our stories and, and use our voices to encourage, empower, inspire that next generation to know that, you know what, it doesn't matter if you have a field to play on or a ball or whatnot, you belong here, you're a part of this, it, 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 you matter. I think that's part of what we're doing is so I encourage anybody to please put on your social media and tag us, hashtag we belong um, and, and hashtag CONCACAFW on Instagram and just just tell your story because I think one of the things from traveling throughout the region is me over and over just hearing different players and their voices be like, that's possible. You know, I mean, Jeff, we were talking about it. Like, yes, as players, you, you, you go through that. And this is, this is going back a couple of years. We were having this discussion. You go through a player as a player and you're done. And then it's almost, they call it your first death. Cause you're like, what do I do? Do I go into coaching? What, what do I do? Right. But most importantly, it's it's knowing that there's a pathway. For me, people are like, I didn't even know this was possible. The truth is, Jeff, I didn't know this was possible. But it's it's to create more pathways for players in administration, players in coaching, just players that football, as we know, is a tool in the beginning of almost like understanding your greatness. And I mean, that's where we just want this whole conversation to go where it goes, but in a positive way. And I don't know, hopefully I've done a good job of explaining it there. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. The uh, so it's at Concacaf W is kind of the the Concacaf uh, women's platform and and brand and and uh, if you can, but you can't see if you're listening on audio. But Karina's shirt there, I'm looking and it's it's available for sale, right? So it's, yeah, a, it's on Amazon. Get a Weebelong. Yeah. Go to uh, the Sports Squad Project because again, I mean, the reality is there's girls within our region who are not playing for something as simple as a sports bra. So. Yeah, it, it's a full campaign, and but I think the essence is we want people to tell their stories, and every story matters, right? Your story matters, Jeff. Anyone listening right now, story it doesn't matter what gender you identify with. It does not matter because I think people need to hear that encouraging voice of feeling that they belong to something, and and every story matters. So yeah, I, I could talk all day about we belong. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully, hopefully, um, if you want to find out more about that, check out um, concacaf.com slash concacafw slash we belong. Um, a secret, if you just go concacafw.com, I think you get there too. There you go. But don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> secrets out. And, and hopefully we've made sense of some of the, uh, the qualification. It's essentially four direct qualifiers to the World Cup uh, with this expanded 32 World Cup, 32 team World Cup to go into a playoff, which I'm very interested to see. This, how they've got that that playoff structured in uh, as a test run for it's Australia. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. It's going to be exciting because um, even think about it. I mean, if, if you don't go through directly, you know, you're going to get to play a home game. And, and just think about it. Like if it's U.S., Canada, it could be any. But those that, that matchup, it could be Mexico, it could be Jamaica. Let's put it out there. Haiti, Costa Rica, Panama. You know, we could go down Belize. I mean, Barbados, Bahamas. I think that's what's exciting is that now, especially watching, you know, the, the success we've had as a confederation, we're looking at eight, six teams and that, that that's, that's possible. That's, that's a big dream for some, mm -hmm. but that's, what's doable now with the expanded World Cup. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of my favorite topics I have to ask you on the club front, um, we've talked about it before, you know, we've got, um, we've got another Tigres first Houston dash game coming up, which I think is really mm -hmm. cool. Would love to see more of that that crossover um just maybe generally what what is uh what do you is there anything in the works on a club front um what, what are you kind of thinking of um there in terms of the the club aspect of the regional competition what what's there yeah i mean i'm not breaking any news here if i do we'll have to delete it <laughs> but you know our president victor montagliani has been on record saying that we want to introduce something um around the next world cup and I, and I think it's important for, like, we've looked at multiple things. Um, we've looked at, you know, Mexico, USA. I mean, looking at FIFA's reports, you know, you have amazing um, people coming to the game. You have, you, have, you have the tools there for a successful thing. But we have to remember we're 41 countries or members of associations with 41 different realities. So in looking at audits, we're, we're doing top to bottom. This is not something that's new to us. We're, I mean, you have the league in Costa Rica, uh, obviously the success of the Mexican league. There's a lot of things around there, but I can't go into details because that's going to take time. But I can tell you, this is something we're focusing on when it looks at our, like our ecosystem and, and what we've just launched. That's on the national team side and looking at the club ecosystem and the structure. This is something that's next. And I'm excited about it, but you know, I'll let Victor break the news because if I break the news and then Victor, you know, it, it, I, I don't have a job. So I think most importantly, it's to understand that, you know, it's, it's, our region is 
interesting is the best way to say it. You know, we have some MAs that right now are just trying to get to the level so they can play 11 v 11. So it's not just a North American club competition. And I know there's people out there who say, we'll start with that and continue on, but we have to really find something that's sustainable and, and make sure that every stakeholder feels like they're seen in the process though. So, love the politics of football. That's a, well, <laughs> but, uh, a carrot of hope for maybe a, a club competition at some point, I guess. Absolutely. And um, I know FIFA's looking at it as well. So, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I can't say any details right now, but I can say, Jeff, just tune in. Cause you know, we're going to have something at the right time. Um, to, to, to speak about. Yeah. And I know, you know, something uh, I'm wondering maybe before we go of, of, you know, you've brought it up a couple of times, alluded to the different challenges of different MAs. And I, I do, you know, I'm probably guilty of this too. We think about Canada, we think about the U S Mexico, maybe, you know, the teams that are always in that sort of final competition. Um, but you have teams, as you said, just trying to figure out how to field 11 v 11, or, or maybe their ambitions, you know, they're, they're happy to now have these competitive games, but their ambitions are simply putting a team together. Um, I, I know you've traveled a lot at least pre pre pandemic, um, you know, being able to, to <laughs> see on the ground, what's going on, what's, what's needed. Um, I know you've shared a few stories in the past, but just wondering if, if anything maybe stood out to you in, in terms of um, how different those, those realities are in different places and, and maybe, mm -hmm in some ways, how they're obviously all important in a different way. If there's any kind you know, of stories that jump out. I, I have a million stories. <laughs> I, could, I could probably spend uh, the whole afternoon talking about that. I think the thing is, is, is the reality is coming out of this pandemic. Um, we've all suffered, right? And we've all figured out how do we move forward and making sure that, you know, we haven't forgotten about a young girl in a country and that they feel seen and heard. You know, you look at the Olympics and even at the Olympics, there's disparities between how some countries could prepare. And in some of our smaller countries, football is not something that's a priority because you're looking at health issues. You're looking at mental health issues. And, you know, the discussions we're having is that let's get these players out playing. Let's just get them playing. Like, don't worry about the World Cup. Don't worry about the Olympics. And for some, it's like that seems so far, but it's like these competitions and this November window, I don't think people can understand how important it is unless you're in it, right? And the ability to just go out and be like, wow, not only are they going to be playing football, but they're going to be hosting a game to go to a World Cup. That's never been part of the conversation. And so that seems so small to some, but imagine being that young girl or player in that country and being like, wow, in November, I'm gonna get to play in front of my mother and my father where this dream was just a crazy dream. It wasn't even a reality. And I told them I wanted to do this. And throughout the pandemic, I sat at home and I played outside and look, look what's possible now. Like you have to look at it from those lens as well as, okay, you know, you have Canada and USA not part of the first round, but Mexico and Jamaica, you know, okay, we're thinking our next World Cup. What do we need, you know, and the disparity, the differences are huge, but at the same time, it's the same time, it's still the same thing. It's like, how do we use this game to change lives for the reality of what you and I know? And 
you know, in terms of stories, I, I shared with you with the, with the, with the woman I almost said the country and I would have gotten her in trouble, but I, I shared with you the story of, of the woman calling me and crying and saying, thank you. But at the same time, like, I think every player is just ready to get back on the field and for meaningful games, games that mean going to the world cup. And yes, it seems so far to us like 2023, whoa, so much is going to happen, but these people have been sitting at home dreaming of this every single day and it's a reality. So I can tell you from traveling throughout the region that it, it, it's important. And what's exciting is that it's becoming important more than ever for some of our members associations. You know, I have presidents calling me, sending me messages like, look at this, what we just did. And they're getting excited. And I think that's, that's a testament to those who've been in the game doing, doing the work because people are looking at them saying like, wait, that's not far. That's 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 part of our journey and and that's part of the legacy and I think what this game is is it allows us all to leave a legacy um, for that next generation that they can be a part of it and I think that's what's exciting about this so I mean I, I think coming out of this pandemic it's it's a different conversation if you and I had this conversation I don't know how long we've been in this pandemic a year and a half ago two years ago it would have been different but I think now it's this is hope for every one of our countries this is a way of inspiring that next generation. It's a way of recharging the current generation that's playing, but it's not just football, it's life. It's it's a way to get a break from everything and and it, there's true meaning in this sport. And I think that's what's exciting about what we're doing um, at CONCACAF. Nice, and um, everything should be uh, even more accessible than usual, I guess, Paramount Plus, CBS, broadcasting a lot of uh, a lot of these these new competitions. So looking forward to, to seeing that and, um, do a little scouting report on, on some of these teams coming through to the, the final competition, maybe. Um, well, Karina, I love to I love to talk travel. So before we go, real quick, you traveled. I mean, I know you have some some biases of countries that you prefer more than others, maybe, but you you traveled the region. So like, where's where's a place people need to get to for a great vacation in the Caribbean or something or a spot? You're trying to get me killed. <laughs> You want me to say a favorite spot. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait, I heard the podcast. You didn't even say us. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think what what's I think one of the things I will say about this is that sometimes people look at the Caribbean or Central America and they're like, oh, they're all the same. Mm -hmm. Every country's different. And it all depends on what you want to do, what you want to experience. And I think that's another exciting thing about our competitions is that you can go see your country play in a different and use that as an excuse to to travel and explore but I, I I would not dare do that because one time I joked because my mother's Jamaican and I grew up in Dominica not the Dominican Republic and I was like oh you know the black sanded beaches or you know and, and I'm in the Bahamas and people are like the looks I got Jeff it was just like I, I will never do that again so what I would say is that we have 41 beautiful countries with 41 beautiful realities and I guess shoot me a message if you have an idea of what but and I'll directly respond but I could never do that here I that's that's like <laughs> that's like that's just no I can't even tell you what the repercussions for that okay were. I didn't I didn't think a harmless travel question was so loaded oh oh you don't know <laughs> like I said once oh best beaches and it was just on a we do these webinars and our development calls and you would have thought I, I told somebody something about their mother. It was a bad <laughs> decision. But yeah, so, and one thing we didn't talk about is the development programs we're doing on CONCACAF. We're, we're really, and we talked a bit about this before, is that 
We're trying to make sure there's coaching education courses exclusive for women. So we get more women in coaching because I know in some of our countries, you know, parents are like, I don't trust my young girl with that man. So that's one of the barriers in, in getting girls to play. Well, awesome. Karina LeBlanc, thank you for joining me, head of women's football in CONCACAF, doing, doing a bunch, um, a lot of new competitions to come. And uh, looking forward to, to seeing those and seeing uh, this expanded 2023 World Cup with, I'm sure you're hoping six CONCACAF nations at it. Yeah, absolutely. Six all the way. And thanks for having me. And to anyone listening, just know you play a, an important role in growing this women's game. Uh, every time you watch a game, you write about a game as Jeff is doing, or you do a podcast about the game and tell the stories of the incredible players that are in the women's game. That's important. So keep do- owning your role and, and just know that, hey, I'm going to throw it out there, that we all belong. So <laughs> that's it for me. Thank you for listening to Kicking Back, a podcast brought to you by The Equalizer and now with Blue Wire Podcasts. If you've missed any of our great interviews from the past or you don't want to miss anything going forward, and I promise you that you don't, please subscribe on any platform you're listening. Please go ahead and rate and review our podcast. It really does help with visibility. That's that for this episode. We'll be back soon with another great guest from the world of women's soccer.